Welcome to Emmanuel. So excited to be talking to, to, to you today, week two of a series we're in called Celebrate. And if you're a guest with us here today, what we do is we kind of teach you in series. We go three or four weeks and then we kind of shift gears and talk about something else. And uh, so we're talking about this idea of celebration for this week and then next week. And, and uh, la- the Friday night, we had our worship night. And again, by a show of hands, how many have actually showed up to that? Just by a show of hands. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you did not come, you missed out. Man, I'm telling you what, it was, it was exciting. We had, we, had, uh, we had some type of uh, dance ball, what do they call those things? Uh, disco ball. I mean, I don't, I don't know where they, what they did with it. It's, uh, it's gone now, but it came down. This place was rocking out. We had a blast worshiping God. And so I've heard many people say, hey, we're going to do that again. And I said, absolutely, we're going to do that again. So if you've missed Friday night, uh, make sure that you put it on the calendar. I can't schedule them right now. My team's got to do that. But we're going to schedule another one. And I want you to come to that. It was awesome. It was like 900 people here or something like that. It was, it was incredible. Uh, one, somebody came forward um, after the service. It really wasn't a service, but sort of. And they said, hey, I invited my, uh, some of my coworkers to the, to the event tonight. And my boss actually came. And when they were on the foyer, before they were getting ready to come in, my boss said to me, so um, is this going to sort of be like mass? <laughs> and he said, well... Not really like Mass, but uh, I think you're going to like it. So, but he ended up liking it, and uh, nothing against Catholic Mass. I know some, many of you have a Catholic background, but it's a little bit different of a scenario on Friday night worship night, uh, especially with the disco ball. So anyway, uh, great time, uh, and so make sure you come to the next one if you missed out. So we're talking about celebrating, celebrating, so exciting. We said last week that we often celebrate after something cool happens, right? Something fun happens, something exciting happens. Uh, m- both of my favorite teams are in the NBA playoffs, so I've been celebrating a lot. Uh, the Warriors have won, and also Oklahoma City has won. But the problem is now they have to play each other. And so I don't know how I'm going to celebrate uh, at all. The first game's tomorrow night, and so I think I'm going to be sad and excited at the same time because somebody's got to lose and somebody's got to win. But, uh, but celebration happens when something fun. Any, any Warriors fans out there? Any, any Steph Curry fans? Okay. Uh, any any uh, Kevin Durant fans? Yeah, K- KD? Yep, I got a pair of his shoes. He's awesome. Um, <laughs> love both those guys. Anyway, anyway, so we celebrate because something cool happens. Can you, can you think back, those of you, those of you who are older and old enough to think back this far, to July 20th, 1969. Now, I wasn't born yet. It was twinkling in my parents' eyes, I think. But uh, July 20th, 1969, there was a huge celebration a month after that event. Anybody remember what happened July 20th, 1969, in the United States? They sent Apollo 11 to the moon, the first human lunar landing of all time. And they came back, August 13th, there was this ginormous celebration in New York City, this ticker tape parade, and we got this picture here. Some of you might remember it. There's the three astronauts right here. The only one I know is Neil Anderson. That's Neil and these two guys, I don't, don't know their names. I was, didn't pay attention that enough in history class. But um, huge celebration right there, right? Because something incredible took place. Isn't that why we celebrate? We celebrate because someone did something amazing or someone had a birthday or someone got you know, engaged or there was a graduation. Some of us are going to open houses this afternoon because someone graduated high school or something like that. And there's just all these, this Friday night we had the eighth grade dance because eighth graders are you're celebrating, you know, because they're graduating eighth grade. That was lame. <laughs> but, you know, they, you know, all this, 
No, it wasn't lame. They had fun. Um, but we just, we just celebration is just this thing that happens after something cool happens. And what we said last week, just kind of start off, is we, we quoted a guy named Richard Foster who said that celebration brings joy into life and joy makes us strong. And that is why we need celebration. Because we need strength for life because life can be difficult. Life can be challenging. My wife and I have friends, and, and some of you are friends with these people as well, but they're pregnant, and there were complications with the pregnancy this week. And so at 27 weeks, the doctor had to do a C-section and remove the baby from our friend's belly because of different complications. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. The baby's about two pounds. My wife saw the baby yesterday. You could fit the baby in your hand. And he's not even old enough to open his eyes yet. He's doing fine. He's, 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 he's alive. But they weren't expecting that. At 27 weeks to have to go into the hospital and all these different things. Isn't that the way life works sometimes? It's like everything's kind of going along and all of a sudden, curveball. You get punched in the gut. That just happens. And life, life, if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, life can kind of get you down. It can kind of get you. In, in fact, if some of you here today, you're kind of discouraged and you're kind of down because of something that's gone on. Or maybe it's some choices that you've made. Sometimes we make life worse with our stupidity, don't we? <laughs> Come on. Am I talking to anybody today? Right? There's circumstances that take place, and then there's also choices that we make, and life, gets, life can get pretty, uh, you know, pretty discouraging. And so we need, we need strength for life. Well, where does that come from? It comes from celebration. Celebration fills our life with joy, and joy gives us strength for life. Uh, I've had the, had the privilege, my wife and I had the privilege not too long ago having dinner with uh, Margaret Feinberg. She's an author of, of several books and a, a conference speaker. And because we have friends who are friends with her, we were able to go to dinner with her after a conference recently. And we picked up one of her, her recent books called Fight Back with Joy. She had already written the book about joy. That's interesting. And then she got diagnosed with cancer. And she had to rewrite the book. And the title says it all, doesn't it? Fight back with joy. The reason we need joy is because we need strength. Because sometimes you get diagnosed with cancer. And she said, I want to read just just a couple ideas in the book. She says, you were founded in joy, created for joy, and destined for joy. Joy is where you come from. Joy is what you were created to experience. Joy is where you are headed. She, she talks a little bit about Nehemiah that we, we, spoke, we spoke about last week, if you were here. How Nehemiah, you know, led Israel to build the walls around Jerusalem. And then after the walls were finished in 52 days, they throw kind of this festival, this party. And, and Ezra gets up and starts reading the, the book of the law. And, and they realize they, they haven't fulfilled the law of Moses. And so they start to cry and they start to weep. And Nehemiah steps in and says, whoa, 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 this isn't a day for sorrow. We need to celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your, say it with me, your strength. She talks about that in the book. She says this, she says, Nehemiah knows that when life knocks us down, merrymaking boosts us back up. We cannot continue in any endeavor very long apart from joy. 
Let me repeat that. We cannot continue in any endeavor apart from joy. And so the book, if you want to pick it up, the book is worth the price uh, uh, just because of chapter 6. Chapter 6 is how to throw the best party ever. She talks about how her and her husband, through this whole journey of chemotherapy and fighting cancer, they just decide that they're going to celebrate. And they're going to celebrate along the way, and, and, and every single time they go into the hospital for chemo treatment, they're going to do something to celebrate. So they started bringing chocolate to the nurses and the doctors. They'd go in, and they'd celebrate. They brought in, you know, her husband, Leaf, would make some, some dip, and he, they'd bring some chips and dip in. And every time they'd give something away, the, one of the favorite things they were giving away was brownies. They would bring in these double chocolate fudge brownies, and that was a hit. And, and she, would dress, she would dress up. She'd put colorful clothes on and all her, you know, most you know, flashy jewelry Every time she'd go in for a chemo you know, treatment and she would encourage people and just try to be as positive as she could. They were celebrating the entire time because celebration brings joy and joy brings strength. The price of the book, that chapter six is worth the price of the book if you pick it up. We need to celebrate because we need joy and because joy gives us strength for life. This is such a serious issue for God and his people that in the Old Testament, he made sure that they would celebrate seven times a year at different festivals so that they would have joy, so that they could have strength. The, the Feast of Tabernacles, you mentioned these last week, the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of First Fruits, all these different festivals. But the most important one was Passover. There was a seven-day party called Passover. And it was to celebrate this incredible event where God sent down his destroyer. That's what it's called, the death angel. Did you know God has an angel called the destroyer? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? Hopefully he doesn't ever send the destroyer to my house. But he's got this angel, and he sent this angel down to Egypt to take out the firstborn son of every household in Egypt so that Pharaoh would say, okay, you can go free to the Israelites. They were in bondage and slavery for 400 years. And so sure enough, that's exactly what happens. But before it happens, God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell every Israelite family to get a one-year-old spotless lamb. Every family needs to get their own lamb and kill that lamb and cook it a certain way. And then I want you to take some of the blood. Well, I'll just explain it to you. This is, this is kind of how it worked in Exodus chapter 12. Moses, uh, God tells Moses, then they are to take some of the blood. See how he made blood red there? Isn't that creative? <laughs> Usually it's yellow, but blood is red. Anyway, so... So they took, take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames and of the houses where they, eat, where they are to eat the lambs, okay? That's, that's, that, that's the instructions. Now watch what happens in verse 13. Here's, here's the deal. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will, say it with me, I will pass over. My destroyer, my death angel, will not wipe out the firstborn son in your household. He'll pass over it and go to the next one. He continues in verse 13, watch this. So no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, before he even sends the destroyer down, look at verse 14. This, this is the very next verse. This is going to be a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall, say it with me, celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. In other words, before I even perform this miracle, before I even set you free from the bondage of slavery, it is going to be a holiday. It is going to be a celebration for you because here's what's going to happen when you celebrate. Your heart's going to be filled with joy and you will have strength for life and you will need strength to take the promised land that I'm about to send you into. Anybody know about the story, the rest of the story? <laughs> they needed some serious strength to take the promised land. God took 
For, for God, joy is serious business, and he knew that it would come through celebration. So sure enough, the, the destroyer comes down and wipes out every firstborn son in Egypt. It's a crazy story. Sure enough, Pharaoh says, okay, you know, after this 10th plague, you can go free. And the Israelites walk out of Egypt, not just with their own stuff, but all of the gold and the silver of the Egyptians, and they go out into their freedom. Now, that's an amazing story, and it's in the Bible. You can read it, Exodus chapter 12. But it's not the greatest story in the Bible. You see, that Passover was a foreshadowing of the real Passover. See, in the notes there, Jesus is the real Passover lamb. The real story in the Bible, the best story in the Bible, is the story of the real Passover. Not the Passover in in Exodus chapter 12, but the story of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Listen, I want to talk about three different people who said three separate things about Jesus Christ. The first one is Paul. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. The Apostle Paul, the big dog in the New Testament, the author of 14 books, and many, many churches were planted through his, through, through his ministry. He says, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Where does he get that phraseology from? He gets it from the story of Exodus. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. He sacrifices himself so that you will be passed over. Let's look at somebody else, John the Baptist, pretty, pretty important figure in the, Old, in the New Testament, don't you agree? He kind of paved the way for Jesus, he baptized Jesus. Listen to what John says in chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Incredible. John calls him the Lamb of God. Why would somebody call Jesus a Lamb? It's because of what was spoken to the Israelites in the Old Testament. You are to take a one-year-old lamb, a spotless lamb, and you are to kill it. And you are to take some of that blood and you are to wipe it on your doorpost so that when my destroyer comes down, they will pass, it will pass over you. In the very same way, when we take the blood of Jesus Christ and apply it to our lives, we are forgiven of our sins. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk about Peter. Peter, big dog in the New Testament, right? Pete, right? Pretty important figure, right? He's kind of got in trouble sometimes, but he also did some amazing things. He actually wrote two books of the, of the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Pretty clever. And so he writes this. Listen to what Peter says. And the ransom, the payment, see, we were, we were in bondage to slavery and to sin. And so we were, we were literally purchased out of slavery in the same way that the Israelites were, were purchased or delivered out of slavery. He says the ransom payment was not gold or silver. It wasn't cash. It wasn't money. It was rather the pressure. Say with me, the precious blood of Christ. Watch this. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Why does Peter and Paul and John refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God? And Peter takes it a step further and he says he's the spotless Lamb of God. Why? It's because the story of the Old Testament, the Passover, is a foreshadowing of the real Passover Lamb. And here's what's crazy. If you're you know, Jewish, if you know anything about the Jewish religion, they totally miss this. The Jewish faith, Judaism, they totally missed the foreshadowing. They believe in God. They believe in the God of the Old Testament. Jehovah, they worship him. But they missed the foreshadowing aspect that Christ is the ultimate Passover lamb. That through his, through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross, through his spilled blood... 
we are to be passed over. Why does, why does uh, Peter refer to the spotlessness of this blood or the sinlessness of Jesus Christ? What's the significance of that? Isn't that a good question to ask? What, what's going on there? Well, here, here's kind of the deal. The sinlessness or the spotlessness of Jesus and the spotlessness of the Lamb in the Old Testament story points to perfection. It points to perfection. The lamb had to be perfect, without spot, without defect. You had to get a perfect one-year-old lamb. Jesus was perfect. He was spotless. Why why, why is that important? Well, in order for you and I to be in the presence of God, we need to be perfect. That's the problem. Why is that a problem? Because we're not. We're far from it, right? Right? So if you're taking notes, this is, this is important to get this, right? Everyone is in trouble <laughs> because none of us are perfect. So quite literally, we could say it this way. You and I are screwed. <laughs> We're done. Like, if, 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 if you have to be perfect to get into God's presence and we're not perfect, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Now, for those of us who live in, in an alternate universe, an alternate reality, isn't it interesting how somebody, some people create, you know, you know, these distortions in their life and they live in denial? It's always fun to talk to somebody like that. For those of you who live in that, in that area, you know, it's, I just want to show you a couple of verses that, that explain that we're, we all, we're all sinners, right? Here's what it says, the Bible, as if we need to be told, right? For all of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, God's standard is perfection and all of us fall short of it. Some of us fall way short. <laughs> We're better sinners than others, and, but all of us fall short, right? Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, even the best and the best of the best of human beings, they still fall short. And now, Paul says it actually gets worse than this, that, that it's not only are we sinners, but the payment of sin or the wages of sin is, is death. Not physical death only, although it includes physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God. That is what spiritual death is. Right now, we don't necessarily see God or experience God with our hands and our fingers and our eyeballs, but we definitely can see his blessings, like a sunrise or warmth or water, right? Well, when, when when we're eternally separated from God, we get nothing of God, not even what God has created. It is the worst possible condition for a human being, eternal death of the soul total separation from it. That's the penalty of sin. That's bad news, right? But look at the good news, the rest of the verse. Watch this. But the free gift of God is, say it with me, eternal life through Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the Passover lamb, when we reach out to Jesus Christ and when his blood is applied to our life, literally when the blood is, you know, figuratively, figuratively wiped on the door frames of our life, we are passed over. We receive eternal life. The destroyer doesn't come to our home. We receive eternal life. Now, how does one apply the blood of Jesus to their life? Do you come to church? Well, some people believe that. Have you ever noticed on Easter our attendance doubles? Have you ever noticed that? Christmas time, attendance shoots up. Because there's a lot of people in the United States who believe, well, I'll go to church when it's important, and then maybe... When I die, God will say, you showed up on Easter. You get to come into to heaven. You know, some people believe that, the church attendance. Some people believe it, it's good works, so just be a good person, you know. 
Some people believe if they get baptized, people want to get baptized, they get baptized, want to get baptized, baptized. You know, we, we should get baptized. We're going to do baptism next week. It's going to be awesome. But you don't get baptized in order to go to heaven, right? It's a symbol. It doesn't forgive your sins. It doesn't wash away your sins. It's just a symbol of the forgiveness of sins, right? How do you apply the blood of Jesus? How do you get it applied to the door frames of your life so that we receive eternal life? Listen to what Jesus said from his very lips. John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and, say with me, believes him who sent me has eternal life. It is through faith in Christ and faith alone in Christ that we receive the forgiveness of sins, that the blood of Jesus is applied to our life. He, uh, he does not come into judgment, because what is the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin is death, right? You, you do not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is the truth. Now, that is wonderful news, don't you agree? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the greatest news in the universe. That's the greatest news in the world. And for the, if that were it, we should celebrate every single day, shouldn't we? Isn't that fantastic news, that you don't have to pay the penalty of your sins, that it's been paid for you? Do you agree with this? But it doesn't end there. It actually gets better. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just come to forgive your sins. He did, but that's not all he came to do. You know what else he came to do? He came to set you free from the power of sin, which is very different from being set free from the penalty of sin. Being set free from the penalty of sin means you're not going to go to hell. That's awesome. That's great news. Does anybody want to go to hell? (laughs) No, right? So we don't have to go to hell, right? We We don't have to suffer eternal death. We apply the blood of Jesus to our life. We receive eternal life. We go to heaven when we die. Is that all? Is that all there is to the gospel? No, no, no. Listen, if you go back to the story of the Passover... The, the, the blood that was applied to the door frames of every household allowed the death angel to pass over so the firstborn son in each home did not die. But that led to Pharaoh saying what to the Israelites? Get out of here! You must leave! You can go free! See, there were nine plagues that didn't work. You know, the hail and the grasshoppers and the frogs and the fleas and all those things. Pharaoh didn't let the people go. He said, no, you're going to stay. But when, when God took out the firstborn son of each home in Egypt, Pharaoh finally says, you can go free. So the Israelites got out of there. See, the gospel is not just about the forgiveness of sins. The good news is not just about being set free from the penalty of sin. The good news is about that's being set free from the power of sin. The power of sin, which is very different. The blood of Christ also sets us free from the power of sin. Sort of like this, if, if I could use an example. It's like we're all in bondage, like the Israelites were in bondage to, to the Egyptians. And when, when Christ dies on the cross, his blood, the work, of, the work of Jesus on the cross, unlocks the chains to the cell that we're all sitting in, being in bondage to sin, under the power of sin and the penalty of sin. It unlocks it, right? So the door to our prison swings open, and we're now set free. But here's what's interesting. You and I still have a choice to stay seated in that cell or to get up and walk out. Does that make sense? See, the Israelites got up and they walked out of Egypt. What they could have done is said, wait, 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 wait. See, you don't understand. We like it in Egypt. We like being slaves. I mean, we get three meals a day. You know, life is predictable. We work all day. They got potatoes and carrots in Egypt. If we leave Egypt, what are we going to eat? 
What are we going to drink? Where are we going to live? Right? And in fact, after they got up and walked out of Egypt, what did they say to Moses repeatedly? If you've read the Bible, anybody read the Bible? They kept saying, where are we going to get water? There's no food. And they would complain. In fact, they even said at one point, let's go back to Egypt. See, just because, the ch- just because the lock has and the chains have come off and, 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 and you've been unlocked doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to walk free. There are many, many Christ followers that I know who are going to heaven when they die. Their sins are forgiven, but they are living under the power of sin. And maybe that's you today. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has, what? Freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, when a person places their faith in Jesus, the the, the spirit, the life-giving spirit, the spirit of Jesus comes to dwell and take up residence inside that person. The purpose is for that spirit to begin to work in your life to set you free from, okay, let's go through it real quick, ready? Set you free from... Let's just talk about worry. Worry. That's a big one. Don't you agree? Some of you are worry warts. You worry every day, all day. You worry about your children. You worry about the economy. You worry about your health. You worry, worry, worry. Somebody's like, please stop talking about me. I have to. Because you're going to go to heaven when you die, but your life is miserable. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> you have no joy, you have no peace, because all you do is sit around and worry. And then you say, well, I'm just, I'm just kind of the type of person that worries. That's just what I do. I just worry. Isn't that okay? No, it's not okay. That's living under the power of sin. That's a lack of trust in God. You have no peace in your life. Let's talk about anger. That's one for the guys. Let's pick on the guys. Oh, we, here's what we say. Oh, he just has a temper. That's just the way he is. Don't get on his bad side. Sure, you might be going to heaven when you die. You're, you're, you're set free from the, pe- from the penalty of sin, but, the, but anger, has got it. anger has got a grip on your life. And you lose your temper on the road. You lose your temper with your children. You lose your temper with your wife. You lose your temper with people at work. And you're just like a, you're just like a, 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 clicking, a, t- a ticking time bomb inside because you're under the power of anger. See, this is different. It's, it's very different from being set free from the penalty of sin and being set free from the power of sin. Let's talk about lust for a second. We live in a sexually charged culture. With the click of a button, you could watch the most horrific pornography that a, that a person can view, right? And there's some of you that are living under the bondage of lust. You'd love to stop. You'd love to be free. Sure, you're going to go to heaven when you die, but you can't stop looking. You can't stop doing. You can't stop... It's got a grip on your life. Is that God's will for you? See, that's like the Egyptians saying, that's like the Israelites saying, oh, Pharaoh said we can go free, but we're going to hang out. (laughs) We like being in bondage to Egypt. That's not the gospel. The gospel sets you free from the penalty of sin, but it also sets you free from the power of sin. How? How is a person to be set free from lust or worry or anger or greed or gossip? That's a big one. You want to talk about gossip for a little bit? (laughs) Talking about other people. Just can't help it. It's just what we do. And then we try to say, oh, well, the reason I said this is because I want you to pray for them. (laughs) Right, right. How does this work? Well, as as you and I learn to live in surrender to the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of Jesus, who's come to take up residence in our life, as we learn to surrender to the leadership of the Spirit in our lives, we will be set free from the power of sin. And anger will lose its grip. 
and lust will lose its grip, and fear will lose its grip, and worry will lose its grip, and we will walk into the promised land that God has created for us, the freedom that he's created. So here, how does that work? How does that, well, part of it is, is taking the truth of God's word into your heart and mind on an everyday basis. Jesus said one time, here's what will happen. My disciples will, will stay in my word, and then they'll know the truth, and the truth will set you. Why do you know that? Do you even know what that means? We know that because it's plastered on university you know, buildings and stuff like that. The truth will set you free. What, what does that mean? It means as we, as, the, as we take the word of God into our mind and heart, Jesus meant the spirit of God will, will take the truth of his written word and he'll work it over in our minds and we'll begin to think differently about people, our neighbor. We'll begin to think differently about sex and money. We'll begin to think differently about all the aspects of life. And as we begin to think differently, as we take the truth of God's word into our mind, the truth will set us free. From what? From all of the sin that tries to hold us in bondage. Does that make sense? And that's how we walk into the promise. Now, I, I wish that there was a prayer I could pray to zap that freedom into you. Wouldn't that be cool? You know what? I wish that baptism would do it. Because what I would do is we'd turn into one of those churches that sprinkle people. I'd get a hose out, and I would just spray all of you. I would. I'd just sprinkle everybody just with a hose, just like that. If, if water would do it, if a prayer could do it, if you could have freedom like that, I, I, I mean, we would, do, we would have a freedom service. We would you know, pack this place out, right? You get free from what plagues you, right? But it didn't work that way. Now, in rare instances, someone will get delivered from the power of pills or drugs or something like that. Very rare instances. All the cravings will be gone. But most of the time, it's the daily grind of learning to yield to the Spirit's leadership in your life, which takes a lot of time. And it took a lot of time for the Israelites to take the promised land. So sometimes it worked well. Remember the walls of Jericho? Sometimes God just showed up and did everything, and the walls fell down, and the people walked in and took the city, right? But then other times it was battle after battle after battle after battle after battle in order to attain the freedom that God had planned for them. And that's, that's what the gospel does. Jesus Christ, death on the cross, his blood, not only sets us free from the power of sin, but it sets us free, uh, the, the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. As you learn to yield to the spirit of God in your life, you'll experience that freedom. And we're all on that journey, aren't we? Now, that's enough to celebrate. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we could celebrate that every single day, and, and, and it would bring joy into our life, and the joy would bring strength. But there's, there's a problem that we have, and it's the same problem that the Israelites had. We forget. We forget. Because of the daily grind of life and everything that we have to do and go through and all the chores we have to get done and the families we're trying to lead and the jobs that we have, we tend to kind of forget about the, the awesome work that was done at the cross. Are you with me? I mean, everybody's going different places, doing different things, and so we forget. Listen, listen to what the psalmist said about the, about the Israelites. They forgot God, their Savior, who, does, who did great things in Egypt. What is he talking about? The plagues. He's talking about the very things we're talking about today. Wondrous works in the land of him and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. What happened at the Red Sea? As the Israelites were leaving, trying to get into their freedom, they came up against the Red Sea. Who was behind them? The Egyptians were chasing them. Isn't that how sin works sometimes? Come on back. We want you back. 
You know, lust chases you down, anger chases you down, greed chases you down, materialism chases you down, right? And so now they're between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. You know what, you know what God does? He shows up and he parts the Red Sea. And the ground turns dry and they walk across. And as sin tries to chase them into the water, the Egyptians come in. God closes up the Red Sea and, and destroys sin and the Egyptians drown. They forgot what God did at the Red Sea. And here's what's true about me, unfortunately, and here's what's true about you, is that we forget. We forget the awesome deeds done at the cross. We forget the sacrifice. We forget that Jesus was punched in the face. We forget that before he went to the cross, they pulled out his beard. We forget that before he went to the cross, they took a wooden stick and they, and they beat him over the head with a wooden stick, a rod. We forget about the crown of thorns that the soldiers twisted and, and, and pushed down on his head. We forget about the lashings that he took on his back with a, with a whip, with little pieces of stone attached to the end of the whip that tore his entire back to shreds. We forget. It's called a flogging. We forget. We forget about the insults and the, and the mockery we forget about the blood that was spilled. We forget about the sacrifice. We forget about the humiliation and the excruciating pain that he went through to spill his blood so that you and I could be set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And so God is gracious enough because we're forgetful. And when we forget, we don't celebrate. And when we don't celebrate, we don't have joy. And when we don't have joy, we don't have strength. See how that works? He was gracious enough to, get, gracious enough to give us a ritual, an ordinance called communion. And in the same way that before God sent his destroyer down to Israel, uh, to Egypt to destroy the firstborn, and before he even did it, in the same way, Jesus tells his disciples, before he went to the cross, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, every now and then, take some bread, take some wine, I want you to eat it and drink it, and I want you to do it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This, these are the words of Jesus. He said to his disciples the night before he was betrayed, this is my body, which, was, which is for you. Do this. Eat it in remembrance of me. Why? Because they, the temptation is going to be to forget. And then he took the cup, which had juice in it, and he says, look, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Drink it. In remembrance of me. And then he says in verse 26, Jesus says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim means to declare. It means to preach. And I know many of you don't think of yourself as a preacher. Some of you don't think that I'm a preacher. That's okay. <laughs> but every time you and I take a little juice and a little bread in an environment like this, we are proclaiming, we are preaching. And what, are we, what is it that we're preaching? We are preaching that Jesus Christ, the precious, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, spilled his blood that we might be forgiven and that we might be set free from the power of sin. We're preaching it to ourselves. Have you noticed that the, 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 the toughest preaching you need to give out is to yourself? It ought to be 
to yourself. Before we start to look at others and say, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to. You need. It ought to be, I need to, I need to, I need to. <laughs> I need to remember. Why? Because I forget. I forget about the Savior. I need to remember the sacrifice. I need to remember the blood, the humiliation of the cross. And when I do, and when I do, <laughs> I celebrate. And when I celebrate, my heart is filled with joy. And I find strength for life. Jesus has been gracious enough to give us this ordinance of communion. So we're going to celebrate that today. And my hope and prayer has been, man, I, God, I just pray that you would fill your people's heart and soul with joy brimming over so that when they leave here, they will have incredible strength to face into life and live it well for your glory. That's been my prayer. Now, before we do this, there are some of you here today, you haven't yet taken the step of faith. You haven't yet reached out to Christ in faith. You haven't yet had the blood of Jesus metaphorically applied to the doorposts of your life. You need to. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 18. We often quote 16, the big you know, for God so loved the world. Verse 18, Jesus pushes in a little bit, and he says it very clearly. Whoever believes in him, see, that's what it takes to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You'll be passed over. You will not suffer the penalty or the wages of sin. See that? If faith is the thing, faith is the mechanism, the strategy to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. If you do that, you're not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why is a, why is a person condemned? He says, because he has not believed. Not because you're a terrible person or you did this sin or that sin. Yes, we're all sinners. We already talked about that. Every one of us is a sinner. But it's not necessarily your, you, the, the, the severity of your sin that, that sends you to hell. It's, that's not it. You know what sends a person to hell? Not believing. Not believing. Not murder, not rape, not this, not whatever sin you think is bad out there. It's not, that's not it. It's not believing. That's what causes a person to be condemned. By simply saying, Jesus, I just don't believe you're the Son of God. I don't believe that your blood can wash away somebody's sin. I don't, I don't believe you're the Son of God. I refuse to accept that. That's how a person ends up spending eternity apart from God. But that's, you don't have to do that. The offer is eternal life. The offer is simply putting your faith in Jesus. Say, okay, I believe. And in this moment right now, I, I guarantee there's, there's at least... A few of you that need to take that step and say, and, and say to Jesus, I believe. I put my faith in you today. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you feel God moving on your heart right now, don't ignore him. He is moving. He is tugging. He is pulling. He is leading. Follow him into this moment and place your faith in Christ. You say, I don't know how to pray. Listen, I'll pray for you. I'll say the words. You just take the words I'm about to speak and you take them and you pray them to God. It's a prayer he loves to answer. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ right now, I invite you to close your eyes. There's no one else in this room but you and God. Do business with him right now. Say this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I reach out to you in faith. I believe you died on the cross for me. 
please wash away all my sin. Forgive me and cleanse me and make me your child. From this day forward, teach me to surrender to the leadership of your spirit so that I can live in freedom from the power of sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I mentioned something Jesus said earlier. He said, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Your journey, if you just prayed that prayer, you've been forgiven of your sins. You've been set free from the penalty of sin. But now begins the journey of you walking in freedom from the power of sin. One of the main ways the Spirit of God will do that in your life is by taking you into the truth of his word. So every single day, every single weekend, we say, hey, if you prayed to receive Christ, we want to give you a free Bible. It's in the back. It's a one-year New Testament. You can go to the back of the auditorium. They'll put one of these in your hands. Take it and begin reading God's word. Can we give glory and celebrate what God has done today? Now, if you just prayed to receive Christ, we invite you to participate in communion. If you're already a believer, you already have faith in Jesus Christ, you've asked him to forgive your sins, we invite you to participate in, participate in celebrating communion. There are stations down here, front, all around the back. I think there's even some in the balcony. Uh, we're going to have the worship team come out. They're going to lead us in a worship song. When you feel God tugging on your heart to come get communion, grab some, take it back to your seat, celebrate communion, and then I'll come back up and close this after we worship. Will you pray with me? Precious Jesus, resurrected King, you are resurrecting us. Your sacrifice on the cross, your precious blood has forgiven us, has washed us clean, and is now in the process of setting us free, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Jesus, help us. Help us to live according to your spirit. Help us to yield to the leadership of your spirit in our life. Help us to take the truth of your word into our hearts and mind that we might be set free from the power of anger, from the power of lust, from the power of fear, from the power of worry, from the power of greed and materialism, from the power of hate or ju a judgmental spirit. Jesus, set us free. Help us to take the promised land. Help us to live in the freedom that you've created us to live in. Ultimately, Jesus, so that we can live in such a way that others might see your goodness. They might see and taste the eternal life and the abundant life that is found in you alone. That they might drink deeply from the well that is eternal life, that is you, that is your spirit. And so, Jesus, we celebrate you today. We celebrate your spilled blood that has set us free. I hope, I hope that as you watch today and as you listen today, you were honored and that your children pleased you today. Jesus, we live for you. We love you. We ask for your, for your help, for your strength. Jesus, help us to celebrate you every day. Fill us with your joy so that as we face into the lives that we live with all the challenges and all the difficulties and all the hardships and the, the sicknesses and the, the difficulties that come our way, that we might have strength from you because your joy is brimming over. We love you, Jesus. I hope you were honored today. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.
Hey, as we leave this place, can we give, can we, can we give the Lord a hand real quick? As we leave this place, as we leave this place, just know this, next week we are going to be celebrating one more time. We're going to be celebrating life change. Many people have given their lives to Jesus over the last couple of weeks and months, and so we're going to do a baptism service. God always does powerful things in people's lives because they get to hear what God is doing in people's hearts. So bring your friends next week. God bless you. We'll celebrate one more time. See you next week.